Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Authentic, the story of Tableau from Vice. Here's a synopsis from the show's page. Korean hip-hop star Tableau was at the height of his career when a rumor started spreading on the internet that he was a liar. As a trivial accusation explodes into an international obsession, host Dexter Thomas Jr. follows a bizarre conspiracy that asks one fundamental question. Are we who we say we are? Before you listen to the series, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Key players are Tableau and other members of his Korean hip-hop band, Epic High, and that's Epic with a K. You will also see Vice Journalist slash podcast host Dexter Thomas Jr. I am also going to recommend a hard hat for your safety while tuning into this show. Because if you're anything like me, I had quite a few involuntary urges to run headfirst into the wall out of frustration. There are points in this story that are absolutely maddening. The only thing keeping me sane during this show was the fun banter between Tableau and Dexter. It doesn't sound anything like a typical podcast interview. It felt more like two cool college guys catching up on old times. Dexter Thomas was the perfect person to guide us through this story. And like he said on the show, you really have to start at the beginning. So let's dive into it. Tableau was born with the English name Daniel Armand Lee in 1980. He was born in Korea, but has no memories of his early life. His family moves around quite a bit, but eventually his parents settle down in Canada. And it wasn't always easy for Tableau to be the Korean kid at his elementary school in Vancouver. Kids played pranks on him. He even recalls being tied to a tree and hit with sticks. Ha, <sighs> kids are so adorable. 
And it was an extra mind fork because at the same time he was being bullied for being Korean, South Korea was hosting the 1988 Olympics. Tableau remembers the bizarre feeling of the world celebrating his home country as he was being ridiculed for that heritage. And sadly, this would not be the only time Tableau would have to navigate two realities simultaneously. But at least he had an older brother, David, being put through the ringer first. His father wanted David to learn English, so David was tasked to memorize the English dictionary. Tableau remembers his brother being pushed to exhaustion and delirium studying so much in order to go to a good school. Then it was Tableau's turn. Being a younger child, his folks went a little easier on him. They gave him some options. Tableau could choose between the following three schools, Harvard, MIT, or Stanford. And these super chill rents also wanted to give Tableau the freedom to explore and choose one of the following professions, doctor, lawyer, Nobel Prize winner. They even go on a fun family trip together to Stanford in California, and they pray in front of the campus church that Tableau would attend Stanford. Oh, did I mention that in addition to being super strict, his parents were also hardcore Christian and would warn Tableau about the dangers of devil music? So naturally, teenage Tableau goes to the record store to seek out CDs with that oh-so-alluring explicit content label on the cover. Tableau happens to pick up Illmatic by Nas. Yes! There weren't quite as many cuss words as he was hoping for, but Tableau just happened to pick up one of the most iconic rap albums of its time. And that's all it took. He was hooked on hip-hop. And Tableau has a pretty easy time hiding his explicit devil music from his parents because they ship him off to boarding school and move back to Korea. Tableau is getting into shenanigans at school, pulling pranks, being a typical mischievous teenager. The boarding school politely asks him not to return, aka he gets kicked out. Not wanting to disappoint his parents from afar, he gets his butt into gear and rallies through the rest of high school with excellent grades. Tableau even wrote some poetry on the side. And unlike my poetry from high school, his was actually readable. I remember writing some really deep, edgy song lyrics about a star falling in love. You might not get it. It's like pretty deep with like multiple meanings. I feel so blessed to have been a teenager pre-social media because my sick prose might have just collapsed the entire internet like a star falling in love. So yeah, Tableau's poetry is legit really good. In fact, a famous Korean superstar wanted to use some of Tableau's writing for a collaboration project with Bobby McFerrin. You totally know him. He's that guy that sings, don't worry, be happy. So random, but what a cool collaboration. Between his improved grades and impressive extracurricular writing projects, Tableau fulfills his parents' wishes and attends Stanford University in 1998. His folks are still away, but family and friends help him get oriented at Stanford. Although when Tableau meets up with his cousin for lunch on campus, his cousin is incredulous, asking, You got into Stanford? What, like it's hard? Bend and snap. Oops, sorry, no, wrong story. It is very apparent to Tableau early on that attending Stanford is his parents' dream, not his. He can't wait to get this chapter of his life over with. 
So Tablo gets into a fast track creative writing program where he is able to obtain his bachelor's and master's degree in just three and a half years. When he wasn't neck deep in his heavy course load, Tablo was the guy known on campus with the best music. Okay, some of you youths out there might not remember a time when every song ever made wasn't accessible at your fingertips at all times for free. You would have to save up your babysitting, lawn mowing, caddyshack allowance money and buy physical CDs that cost between $10 and $20 a pop in 1990s money. Half the time, you would buy a whole album just for one song. Then, in less than a month, it would get a scratch on it and start skipping on you. Getting your CDs scratched was the worst. I remember ruining my Foo Fighters CD right on my favorite track, Everlong, and it made me want to go out and get a teardrop tattoo to commemorate my fallen heroes. But I didn't have any money because I had spent it all on CDs. So yes, music was a hot commodity, and deep friendships could be formed over listening to groovy tunes. Tableau had a sweet collection of underground hip-hop CDs like Hieroglyphics, Farside, Souls of Mischiefs, you know, the kind of jams that attracted all the cool kids to his dorm, even the football players. Tableau also dabbles in spinning some of his own sweet licks in an underground hip-hop band called Foreign Objects. That's spelt with the number four letter N, and Objects with a Z. Good lord, think of his poor parents who wanted their children to avoid devil music and memorize the dictionary. Imagine if they saw Tableau rapping and using such atrocious spelling. While still attending Stanford, Tableau goes on winter break to Korea and meets a couple of fellow b-boys that go by the names Mithra Jin and DJ Two Cuts, spelled T-U-K-U-T-Z, so gangster. They form the band Epic High. And no, these guys could not be any cooler. Spelled with a K. Okay, I promise that's the last one. So, Tableau finishes school at Stanford and his mother is able to attend his graduation. Each student's name is called and their future plans are announced. Bradley Bradferson, lawyer. Mildred Richington, doctor. Hubert Tuberbottom, Nobel Prize winner. You get the gist. Tableau's name gets called and they announce his future plans. Daniel Armin Lee wants to start going by the rapper named Tableau and move to Korea to start a hip-hop group. Oh my gosh, his poor mother. But Tableau's gonna prove all those haters wrong. He gets signed to a label in Korea and two more guys join the group just to break dance. But the bad news is his folks kick him out of the house and the label only pays them $10 a day to split amongst the entire band. And you know those breakdancers are hungry. So Tableau is forced to couch surf. And at one point, a good friend says he can stay with him at his folks' house. There we go. Now things are starting to look up. Except there's one contingency. Tableau has to stay in the attic, remain undetected, so this guy's parents don't find out he's secretly living there. There is this awful but still hilarious story that Tableau tells about hiding out in this attic and constantly smelling his friend's mother's delicious cooking. He would pop his nose out of the attic door and savor the scrumptious smells. Tableau was living the authentic life of a starving artist, but he does slowly start making progress. At first, Koreans weren't sure what to think of hip-hop. His label didn't know how to market their sound or dress them for their performances. 
early concerts tableau is dressed like a magician, and Mithra Jin and DJ Two Cuts look like pirates. Then there's a shift in Korean youth culture. Okay, Tableau hilariously partially credits this shift to the rise of Kanye West, but not for the reasons you would think. Unlike previously popular rappers like, say, 50 Cent, Kanye wore skinny jeans and sometimes glasses. Korean teens could start to see themselves in that image of a rapper. Then there was a Korean hip-hop group that competed on a reality TV show kind of like Korea's Got Talent. The hip-hop group gets an abysmally low score from the judges, but young Korean kids love it. They start demanding this kind of sound on the radio. And that's when Tableau and Epic High finally make it to stardom. Tableau's b-boy persona is perfectly calibrated. Epic High has some catchy mainstream K-pop sounding singles, as well as deep cuts that are too controversial for radio play. Parents love him because of his Stanford pedigree and teens like his street cred. In addition to epic high fame, Tableau lands TV, movie appearances, and publishes more of his writings. And he even dates, then later marries, a famous Korean actress. That's when the first accusations start to drop. Okay, quick little aside, just like us here in America, Korean celebrities have fans and hardcore superfans. They also have super haters, people that dedicate their time in forums online just hating on a person. Like imagine people's lighthearted disdain for Nickelback, like if that was a full-time job. And they do all this hating on a platform called Naver. It's kind of like if Google and Facebook had a baby. Ugh, okay, you see kids, when a giant internet search engine and a behemoth social networking site love each other very much. Oh, oh, okay, you get the picture. Cool, because that next part was going to get pretty gross. Okay, so what sorts of awful things do you think the Tableau haters on Naver are saying about him? Take a wild guess. Your mind might go to some pretty awful places. Well, these haters are accusing Tableau of <gasps> faking his credentials from Stanford. Right? Like, are you wicked confused too? Like, he's a rapper. Who cares? Even if it's true, why on earth would that even matter? Like, dude, if you were like, yo, Post Malone is a pretty good rapper, but I wonder what he got on his trig final. 97? Hmm. Doesn't add up. We should probably go ahead and ruin his life. Yeah, I totally don't get it either. But lucky for us, there's a whole episode in the Authentic Podcast series that helps us understand why some Korean people were so outraged at the possibility of Tableau lying. That episode is titled Hell Korea. Okay, so we go back 70 years to the Korean War, the devastating war that tore the country in half. But miraculously, in a short period of time, South Korea rose to become an economic superpower by fighting with all of their might to get there. Part of the country's success is that the government invested in technology and education. Korean students would fight tooth and nail for a coveted spot in a prestigious school because for many, this was their only ticket, not only for themselves, but for their entire family to escape poverty. Some of the descriptions of the competitive nature in post-war Korea makes Squid Games look like a documentary. And it makes me see Tableau's parents in an entirely different light. We learn that Tableau's father was an orphan and lived in a neighborhood so poor, some people were literally surviving in cardboard boxes. 
Imagine the fight that was in him to make it out of that situation. Memorizing the entire dictionary sounds like a cakewalk in comparison. So for some dude to come off as an unserious hip-hop artist and also claim he went to a prestigious college like it was easy caused a few folks out there to take umbrage. Wait, did I say a few? I meant tens of thousands of Tableau haters start a group on Naver called Tajin Yo to gather and trade evidence against Tableau. The group even tracks down a Korean broadcaster who attended Stanford around the same time Tableau attended. A Tajin Yo member pays this guy $10,000 for a copy of his transcript to see if it matches Tableau's. They also have him sign an affidavit that he never saw Tableau on campus, which was probably true because it was a fairly large school and maybe this guy wasn't looking to listen to underground hip-hop in a smelly dorm room. His loss, by the way. Even though the transcript signature and the Stanford seal match, this was not enough evidence to satisfy Tajin Yo. In fact, the hatred only grows larger. They start going after the people closest to him, accusing Tableau's entire family of being frauds. His brother gets fired from his job, and his wife and baby daughter's lives are threatened. People give Tableau the oh-so-helpful advice of, Just log off, bruh. Just ignore the negative comments, bruh. But after getting doxxed and constantly being followed, Tableau flees the country with his wife and kid. This makes everything so much worse. Tajinyo starts lumping Tableau in with other conspiracy theories. He was part of the Illuminati. He was an American CIA operative. They also start comparing him to some real-life frauds. There was a popular Buddhist monk that faked his credentials, as well as a famous art curator who was found out to be a fraud. Tableau can't take it anymore. And once and for all, he goes out to prove he's no poser. Tableau teams up with a major Korean news outlet. Together, they go to Stanford and interview his former teachers, former classmates, show records of his exact course load, attendance records, and grades. It's all real. There is even footage of Tableau around campus. So once and for all, that settles it, right? Nah. After the news segment airs, the hater group Tajinyo skyrockets to over 200,000 members. Think of your biggest accomplishment. Got it? For me, it's going to be the time I won a contest dancing to Amigos song. Cool. Now think of a group of over 200,000 people. That's more than the population of Salt Lake City, Utah. Imagine if all those people are actively fighting to prove that you didn't actually win that contest dancing to Amigos song, that the video of you doing the sprinkler dance was a deep fake, and that actually the band Migos isn't even real, and you and your family should all be in jail for this horrendous atrocity. The forgery accusations against Tableau get so bad that Korean law enforcement has to get involved investigating these claims. They even assemble a group of translators to prove that Tableau can speak the multiple languages he claims to be conversant in. Tableau again and again proves he's as genuine as genuine. Now, finally, the tables have turned. Defamation lawsuits are served against the high-up members of the Tajinyo forums. Come to find out, Tableau's own cousin was one of the people questioning if he had really gotten into Stanford. 
And you didn't think family reunions could get any more awkward, did you? So now things finally settle down for Tableau, but not before his father tragically passes away. He had cancer that had been in remission for years and seemed to be living a happy, healthy life. But when this scandal came out, the stress on Tableau's father was too much for him to handle. He got sick and rapidly succumbed to his illness. Tableau's family blamed his hip-hop and fame for causing this devastation. But dude, this whole thing came out because Tableau was trying to do the right thing and reluctantly goes to Stanford just to appease his family. Ugh, yep, okay, this is the part in the show where I need my safety hard hat. Just excuse me one moment. I'm just going to run real quick, head first into the wall, and I'll be right back. Ah, okay, that's better. We do get to hear about Tableau's second chapter, which is really cool and not always something you get to hear from a celebrity who has been dragged through the mud. We also learn about some of the people who were high up in Tajinyo. That episode's a really weird ride. I'd say overall, I loved this series, although the last episode peters out a little for me. It's like enjoying a multi-course, delightful pasta dinner and then being served jello for dessert. I'll eat it. I'll, I'll eat it. Just leave it here. I will still eat it. But I would have really appreciated a baked Alaska. This show also had me longing for those pre-internet days. Days I used to spend listening to Outkast, Radiohead, Hoobastank, and sit around with friends, entertaining conspiracy theories, debating authenticity, questioning everything we were taught in our childhoods. It was fun, challenging, and never crossed that line into hate. We weren't looking for real answers, just wanting the space to ask questions. But now it seems kind of hard to be really open-minded without having your brain completely fall out. The internet took away a lot of that chill and made things kind of hoobastanky. But on the other hand, if it wasn't for the internet, we wouldn't have all of these incredible true crime stories to explore, and I wouldn't be here talking in your earbuds at this very moment. And I gotta admit, that's pretty cool. Spelled with a K. Y'all, what did you think of this? I went into the story completely blind. I didn't know a thing about K-pop, let alone Tableau. But I finished the series ready to make a video crying, Leave Tableau alone! Do you feel the same way? Tell me your thoughts. Email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and don't be acting like those haters on Tajinyo, okay? Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we are back. I wanted to give you some updates on shows I've recommended and still listening to that aren't on my top three. Um, Scamanda fell off this week because I'm getting the sinking feeling that the show is a long drum roll with no cymbal crash. It's starting to get a teensy bit repetitive, and I'm worried that the ending is not going to satisfy. But I have my fingers crossed that Scamanda will stick the landing. Also, I'm still loving the radio murders. 
The journalists are doing a sensational job examining plausible conspiracies while still keeping their journalistic integrity, unlike Tajin Yo. So without further ado, here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth your attention. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have King Road Killings. Here's a synopsis from the show. When four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death in their off-campus house on King Road, the media descended on the tiny town of Moscow, Idaho. ABC News correspondent Kana Whitworth brings listeners behind the scenes as she investigates the savage murders that captivated and horrified the nation in the winter of 2022. Episode 1 just dropped today, and I've been waiting to do a deep dive into this case, and now that there's so much more information, I think this series is a great place to start with simple, straightforward reporting. I am very eager to get started on the King Road killings. At the number 2 spot, we have Freeway Phantom. Here's a rundown from the show. Between 1971 and 1972, six black girls went missing in the Washington, D.C. area. Their bodies were discarded alongside D.C. freeways, and their killer was never found. The media dubbed him the Freeway Phantom. I'm only on episode one, but what makes this show special is hearing from veteran detective Romaine Jenkins. She gets the game ball for this show. Jenkins is in her 80s at the time of this recording and has been investigating this case for the past 50 years. Her career alone could be its own podcast. Being the first female detective on the force, being a woman of color, respected by the community she is serving and her fellow detectives. Her recall for details in this case is absolutely incredible. You can tell it eats away at her, and I hope this case is solved once and for all for the victims' families and for Romaine Jenkins. Freeway Phantom is excellent journalism. At the number one spot, we have Believe in Magic. Here's a summary from the show page. Charity, celebrity, illness, and control. The extraordinary story of a teenage girl and her charity, Believe in Magic, which ends up challenging the very nature of sickness itself. This show shot up from last week's number three spot and I finished the entire series. I was expecting two possible outcomes the whole time and the actual truth was nothing that I would have predicted. I found this series to be riveting from start to finish. Believe in Magic is a tragic triumph. Now for my miss of the week. We have Blind Plea. Here's a rundown from the show creators. In 2017, Devin Gray, a young mother, shot and killed her abusive partner in a remote trailer in rural Shelby County, Alabama. She claimed self-defense and filed a stand-your-ground claim. But instead of freedom, she was handed a, quote, blind plea, an option to take an unknown sentence in exchange for pleading guilty. I know this may come as a twist because it was in my top three a few weeks ago. I was riveted by the first two episodes, and I still think they are worth a listen if you haven't already. But come episode three, this turns into a different show. 
I think it was helpful to learn about Devin's backstory, and sometimes you need to give room for a story to broaden out. But after four episodes, I feel like the plot has ended and we just keep rehashing why it all happened. And sadly, there are patterns of addiction, poverty, race that make this outcome all too predictable. And it's hard to stay engaged in a show when you feel like they've already covered the who, what, where, when, why, and how. So again, highly recommend the first two episodes of Blind Plea, but after that, I'm going to have to go ahead and send this show down my podcast queue, Trapdoor. Find out next week who will be in the number one spot now that Believe in Magic has concluded. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue, Trapdoor. I will meet you here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice and join me next week for another feeding.